You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Thank you for joining with us today. Our scripture today is found in John chapter 5. I invite you to turn there if you would like to do that. And we're going to be talking about the forces that pull at us, that pull at us. If you're like me, you feel like you're being pulled in a bunch of different directions. How many of you feel like that? Your life is always being pulled in all kinds of directions. Forces that are pulling for our attention, pulling for our energy. Um, Those of us in the sandwich generation, and the sandwich generation are the people that are sandwiched between aging parents who need your attention and uh, ailing parents, and then those who still have kids that need your attention, and now even grandkids in our lives. And even as those forces are pulling at us, we have careers that we want to continue to finish strong at, to hopefully reserve some funds to live off of. If we end our career, how are we going to survive? So the forces of finances, all those things pulling at us at once, and um, Having to, uh, having to deal with that. If you're a student, you, you have the, the forces of, I need to learn, I need to get good grades, I need to be a good student, but then you have all the forces of, man, there's friends, there's activities, there's fun to be had, and how do I, how do I maneuver through these? If you're a young adult, you're, you're, you're being pulled between the directions in life. Do I, do I get a career here? Do I get it somewhere else? What career do I take? Is it time for me to settle down and marry if I'm going to marry or maybe I don't marry? And if I am, which person? So all these decisions, all these choices, all these forces are pulling at us. But overarching all of this, in life there are forces that pull us to step forward and forces that are pulling us backwards. Forces that pull us upward and forces that pin us down. We, we on the one hand, are wanting to launch out with possibility and, 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 and hope, and yet there's this gravity of the familiar and security and, and, and familiarity that holds us down. So what are the forces pulling at you? Right now, if you could just take a stop, stop for a second, pause, and, and take an assessment. What are the forces that are pulling at your energy and your attention? Which of those forces are going to pull you forward? Which of those forces are pulling you backwards? And what's going to help us to break free from the forces that pull us back so that we can move forward? so that we can move forward. Today I want to look at a person who found himself pulled in different directions. He was stuck in a condition that he had had for many years, but he yearned to be free. One day Jesus came along and did the unexpected, and he set him free, only to be faced with a new set of forces that were pulling at him. So we're going to look at that story in just a minute. All of this is under the umbrella of our our, our annual theme about moving forward, stepping forward in faith. The, the passage in Galatians we refer to every week. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step, which implies let's move forward. Last week we talked about how Jesus was calling his disciples and, 
and he said to them, he said, you are going to see greater things. You're going to see heaven open. And so we're talking this month about stepping forward with expectation. Don't blink. You don't want to miss what God is able to do in your life. And today, my prayer for you is that you won't miss what God wants to do in your heart right now. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray for you. God, help us not to miss out on what the Spirit wants to say to the church today through your word and my voice. So God, give me your words and give me your ways to say those words so that we won't miss out on what you want us to do today. Open our eyes. Help us to see your hand at work, to see heaven opening today for those that are in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So John chapter five, it begins with this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, in Jerusalem, there is a sheep gate, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there, and it goes on. So, in this story, you will see that there are three primary characters that illustrate the forces that pull at us. And it begins with this man sitting here. This man who's held down by the gravity of his paralytic body on his mat. For 38 years, he had been pulled down, and yet there was something about the pool of Bethesda that was pulling at him. Pulling at him to find healing, to find a hope, to find mercy, and so he's pinned down by his disability, by the mat that, that he was lying on, and he's pulled forward for hope and possibility. Let me paint the picture of what this scene was. It says it was near the sheep gate. Well, we don't know what that is. I mean, that's clueless to us. But the sheep gate was where people would bring their sacrifices to the temple, uh, their sheep, their animals to be sacrificed. In other words, part of their religious tradition, part of their religious liturgy, ritual, was to offer a sacrifice to God in hopes that God would forgive them, in hopes that God would be pleased with them. And, and with that sacrifice of blood, the metaphor there was that because of that, God was able to cover over their sinfulness. So perhaps what people would do is they would bring their sheep to be sacrificed, and then they would go over to the pool of Bethesda to find mercy. And so here at the pool, however, there were, there's a beautiful location. If you've ever been on a tour of Israel, you will go to the pool of Siloam or the pool of Bethesda. And uh, the, full, the colonnades that are there had a roof over it. It was a beautiful place. It was shaded. And so it became a place where the disabled people would come and find respite. But there was this, this legend where this spring-fed pool would ripple sometimes. And the legend was that the rippling was an angel would cause the rippling and the first person into the pool had a great opportunity to be healed. 
And so you have this man just hoping someday he can get there first. Obviously, he's pinned down by his paralysis and he couldn't get in. And obviously, there was no one there to help him. And so these people lived somewhere between the pool of their despair, the condition that they existed in, the now in which they lived, and the hope of what could be, the hope of the not yet. And I think it's a picture where all of us in some way, in some existential way, are pulled between the troubles that we have now and the hope of what can be. The, the reality of what is and the possibility of what will be. We all live in the now, but not yet. The now is our flawed current existence. It's the struggle, the difficulties, the sin that so easily keeps us down, the disappointments, the discouragements of life. But the not yet is that place where mercy reigns. That place where mercy reigns. Bethesda literally means a house of mercy. And so this pool represents the place where they could find mercy. It represents the hope that they had. And so into this place walks Jesus. He doesn't avoid the people that are suffering, the people that are there hoping for a better future, hoping for that time where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears. And in walks Jesus, and he walks over to this man. I don't know why he chose this man. Perhaps it might be because he had been there the longest. Maybe. I can't imagine too many that would be older than a man who had been there for 38 years in the lifespans of that time. So Jesus walks over to this broken man, this suffering man, this paralyzed man, this man who's dependent upon a mat for comfort. And it says that when Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I don't know about you, but that sounds like a silly question to me. Duh, of course. But maybe it isn't so silly. Maybe it isn't so silly. Notice he, he speaks to the man's mental condition before he addresses his physical condition. Do you want to get better? Do you want the mercy of that pull? Do you want that? Why would anybody not want that? Well, apparently the man has made an existence for 38 years. It might not have been the kind that you and I have or would want, but somehow, some way, it's, it's working for him. He's collecting enough alms to be able to survive, enough alms for the poor, dependent upon the charity and the generosity of others to survive. So it's working for him. Maybe if he gets healed, he's going to have to find a new way to exist. And that's a scary thought to some people. Do you want to get well, Jesus asked him. So this man represents the pool between his desire to be whole and his dependence on his disability or his crutches. And all of us have crutches. All of us have crutches. Things that make it easier for us, help us to feel better. Things we lean on and depend on that 
keep us maybe held back and yet it's working for us in some way or another. And so that's what this man is, is feeling. The point I think this makes is that Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? Meaning that you have to want to be better. You have to reach that point where you hit bottom or you hit a place where you say, this way of life is no longer worth living. And I'm going to reach out for mercy to help me move forward. Help me make a big step forward. Because here's the thing. Jesus is going to give you a choice to hold on to the things that hold you down. Do you want to get off of the mat or do you want to hold on to that mat? you want to stay there? Let that mat be your existence. Sir, the invalid replied, I am no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Notice he didn't say, yes, I want to get better. I thought that was interesting. He didn't answer Jesus' question. He just says, I'm, I can't get better because no one's here to help me get in the pool. Every time the water's stirred, somebody beats me. It's their fault that I'm not better. It's their fault that I can't get better. It's somebody else's reasons that I'm still in this living on this crutch that I'm depending on. The man was desperate. He was discouraged and he doubted that he would ever get well. And yet there's part of him that hopelessly hoped and he was giving up hope that he could ever get into the healing pool. And yet Jesus sees him in his hopeless state. He was there to help him. Obviously, the point that I want to make here is that Jesus will help you. He's here for you in your hopeless state. He comes to you. He specializes in giving hope for the hopeless. And Jesus said to the man, it's interesting. The man didn't say, yes, I want to get well. But Jesus says, okay, get up, pick up your mat and walk. What do you think the man thought at that point? He had no clue who Jesus was. He didn't. Jesus walks into this area and he seeks out this guy and says, do you want to get well? Well, nobody's helping me. Then pick up your mat and walk. I wonder if Jesus was just calling the man's bluff, you know? Maybe the guy really wasn't a paralytic and he was just using that to, to, to live off the charity of others. But I don't think that's really what happened here. That's not what happened here. Pick up your mat and walk. It's interesting. There's another story in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <clears throat> about a man on a mat who was paralyzed, who had friends to help him get to Jesus. You remember that story, right? And they carried him on his mat. Jesus was in this house and it was so full they couldn't get in. So they climb up on the roof. They open the thatched roof and they let the man down on the mat. A paralyzed man on a mat, similar to this story, except that person had friends and this person didn't. And what does Jesus say to the man that was let down through the roof? The first thing he says to them, your sins are forgiven. Odd statement. Your sins are forgiven. I'm sick. I'm, I mean, I need, 
I need a miracle. I don't need my sins forgiven. But here's the point of that story. With all of these stories of miracles, signs and wonders in scripture, they are there to make a bigger point. Not just that Jesus can heal people. The bigger point is that Jesus can forgive people. And so the story about the man on the mat was really a story proving Jesus's ability to forgive. This story likewise is a story within a bigger story. Otherwise, I ask the question, why didn't Jesus just go in there and heal all the people? Don't you wonder about that? If all these people are lying there around, why does he just pick out one? Why doesn't he touch? Have you ever wondered why Jesus isn't healing you or your friend or your spouse or your child or your parent? If he can do it, why doesn't he do it all? Why doesn't he heal everybody? He could have done it here, but he didn't do it. The point of this story isn't just that Jesus can heal. The point of the story is that Jesus is something bigger than just a miracle worker. We'll see as we read on to the story what the bigger point is of this story. So here we see, it goes on in beginning of verse 10. He picks it up here. The day on which this took place, and here's the bigger story, was a Sabbath. Jesus was always doing things on the wrong day. It was a Sabbath. So here's the third character. There's the man, there's Jesus. This is the third character in the drama. And, and in every drama, you've got to have these kinds of characters. You have the hero, the villain, the persecutor. These are the persecutors. So Jesus, these Jewish, so on the Sabbath, it was on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and the law forgives you to carry your mat. A man had been paralyzed for 38 years. He's healed. He picks up his mat and he's walking. And they're saying, tis tis, thou shalt not do that. The law says you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. You see the story here contrasting these two pools in people's lives. And so it says, so the man who had been healed, they said, it's the Sabbath that forgives you. So the man replied, that man who made me well, or the man who made me well, told me to pick up my mat. So you notice this guy, he says, they won't help me get into the pool. That man told me to pick up my mat. It's always about the other people and the forces in his life that are doing whatever he's doing. He's the victim in every situation. That man pulled me. So they asked, who is this guy? Who is this fellow who told you to pick up the mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who he was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So the man had been pulled by his, pinned down to the mat, pulled by his disability, his problems, discouragement, fear, being pulled by the pool of mercy, Bethesda, then he gets healed and he jumps right into the middle of two other forces that are pulling against him. The forces of the religious Gestapo, the religious leaders who are all about thou shalt not. You're doing things wrong. God's going to punish you. 
you're guilty, you're a sinner, you shouldn't be like that, you should believe the way I believe, you should do what I tell you to do, you should do this, guilt, condemnation, judgmentalism is the force that's pulling on this man by the religious leaders, and then there's Jesus pulling at him, mercy, grace, freedom, and every one of us live between the gravitational force of guilt and sin and the liberating force of mercy and grace. And we're all pulled in these different directions. And so I love the scripture in Hebrews that says, so throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that entangles you. And that's what is having to happen here to this man. What's holding him back? What's holding him back? What I think John in this writing is wanting us to see is how devastating bad religion is on people. Don't you hate religion that's all about judgment, guilt, shame, and condemnation? I'm right and you're wrong. You need to get better so that God will forgive you. You need to be like me so that you can be acceptable to God. You need to do it the way I'm doing it so that God will love you. It's all about the law. You have to work your way into being like me so that you can be forgiven by God like I'm forgiven by God because I keep all the rules. And so this judgmentalism, this hatred, this condemnation is pulling on this man and the guilt and the shame that that heaps on him is going to hold him back from everything that Jesus wants him to be. We're all pulled by those forces. We're pulled to be the religious Gestapo, the finger pointers, the tisk, tisk, ticks, tiskers, <laughs> On people, we're all pulled to become like that. The more religious and righteous we feel, the more we feel justified and pointing fingers at others. And that is what John is wanting this, us to see: is bad religion. It pulls people down. It keeps them locked in their guilt, locked in their shame, locked in their sin because they try to get out and they fail and they can't. And so the guilt and the shame of their failure just keeps them pinned to the mat of their discouragement and shame. And Jesus is pulling us to mercy. He's pulling us to grace. He's pulling us to freedom and liberation. And yet we feel pulled back all the time. So for decades, he lay by the pool of mercy and in a moment, he's pulled up by the giver of mercy. And then the religious Gestapo says, nah, legalism is the way. Guilt and condemnation works for you. Later, Jesus finds him at the temple and he says to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So there you see the similarity between the gospel story. Jesus told the man, your, sin, your sins are forgiven, and then pick up your mat. Here he tells him, pick up your mat, and then he reminds him that your sins are forgiven. So here, even in this story, it is teaching us that Jesus has the ability to forgive sins. But notice what the man did. The man went away, and he told the Jewish leaders, 
it's that guy over there that made me well. Now, I don't know if he did that with nefarious intentions or just maybe it was a witness saying, hey, that's the guy that's, that's the healer. But so, and here we see again this tension. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So Jesus, he's already digging a little ditch for himself by working, by healing, doing miracles on the Sabbath. But then he defends himself by saying the following. He says to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to with God. So Jesus is like digging a ditch even deeper now by claiming equality with God. And you can see why the religious Gestapo then put the hit out on Jesus because he's claiming equality with God. He's doing miracles on the Sabbath. He's not doing it the way we told him to do it. So therefore, he deserves death. Jesus, the mercy giver, gains the ire of the religious Gestapo for these two crimes against their authority. And the man is caught in the middle between the mercy giver and the law enforcers. Jesus defends himself and only gets worse for him. This drama between law and judgment Condemnation and death and grace and mercy and forgiveness and life, this tension reaches its climax at a place called Calvary. It is there where these two forces come together with all the might that they have. Judgment, condemnation, guilt, mercy, and forgiveness. There at the cross, these two forces met. And there, the forces of judgment and guilt and sin thought that they had won. But it was there that we see grace and mercy winning out because Jesus, even in the midst of that injustice, says to the very people who were nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He offers forgiveness and love conquers hate. Grace conquers judgmentalism. Mercy conquers fear and pride and legalism. Folks, it was at the cross where we see what seemingly was the death of mercy was the triumph of mercy. For three days later, Jesus rose up out of the grave and bringing from us, from this place of death, spiritual death, spiritual um, misery, to a place of life, hope, and freedom. Goes on here. Jesus talks about how he's crossing, helping people cross over from death to life. When I read the story, I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul because he is the, 
the, the consummate example of a person who was pulled by these two forces. Actually, he was all in as a, a, a religious Gestapo. I mean, he was all in for destroying this movement of people who were transformed by the resurrection. And so he was out to stop it before it could spread any farther. And so he was going from house to house, dragging people out who were followers of the way of Jesus. He gave the command to stone Stephen to death. And after he was done doing that, he was on the road to Damascus on his horse to do more trouble there and heap more guilt and condemnation and judgment on people. And all of a sudden, the giver of mercy knocked him off his literal high horse and overwhelmed him with the love of God. And it changed his life. He crossed over from death to life in that moment. And he wrote to the Ephesians these words. For you, all of you, you, me, all of us, were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which we used to live when we followed the ways of the world, the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who's now at work in the disobedient. We all were like that. All of us lived among them, gratifying our cravings of our flesh and following its desires. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. All of us were bound by the force of death in this world, the forces of the powers that be that pull us to hate, that pull us to judge others, that pull us to condemn, that pull us to self-righteousness and pride and fear of other ways. All of us were bound by that at some point in this world. But Paul goes on to write, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, for by grace you have been saved. And, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For you and I are God's workmanship. We're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works so that God, that God prepared in advance. So God is wanting us to cross over from death to life. Folks, the pool of Bethesda is not just a cute story about a man that gets healed. It's a story that's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of spiritual life and death. And oftentimes it's a matter of literal life and death for those who are bound by their sin and bound by their crutches and bound by their addictions and bound by whatever it is that's working for them will keep them locked in this prison of guilt and sin and shame and hoping that someday they will get better but afraid to walk over to the other side. And only Jesus can heal us from that addiction to our old ways and walk over to a life of love and mercy and grace and freedom because your sins are forgiven. 
you have a new start. You see, mercy and grace are not excuses to stay in your sin, as so many of us have made it to be. It is the ticket to walk away from your sin and live in freedom and mercy and, and grace. Jesus offers the opportunity to cross over from death to life. Notice back in John's Gospel, chapter 5, he goes on to explain more to these religious Gestapo of who he was. And he says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. You want to know what God is like? See Jesus. You want to know how God cares about you and feels about you? See Jesus. Don't look to what bad religion tells you. Look to what Jesus tells you. Follow Jesus. And so, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so, the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. So the big question today is, do you want to get well? Will you say yes to mercy? Do you say, I want to get in that pool, P-U-L-L, of mercy? I want to give in to that. That's the question for today. Will you step forward with expectation? Jesus wants to do greater things in your life. He wants you to cross over from death to life. For he goes on in verse 24. Verily, truly, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, believes in him who sent me, has eternal life, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Do you have life? Are you alive? Are you spiritually alive? Or are you just the walking dead spiritually? Are you depending on that crutch? Are you excusing yourself because of the crutch that you're so dependent on? Or are you alive to soar and be free? It's the mercy of God that'll help you be free. Bow your heads, please. We all have these forces pulling on us. Some are just life responsibilities. But overarching all of those is that pull by the enemy of our souls, the accuser of our souls, who wants to heap guilt and shame on you, that wants to hold you back from what God has in store for you, the greater things that he wants to give you. There's that pull that's always wanting to pull us back. And so often we succumb to that pull. But there is another pull in your life that's stronger. If only you say yes. That pull to say, I can be what God wants me to be. I can be free. I can be all that I can, all God wants me to be. And you need to say yes to the pool of mercy, to the pool of God's grace. Say yes, Jesus. I need your grace because I am a sinner too. 
I too make excuses for my lifestyle. I too make point fingers and blame others. I too look down at others who aren't like me. I too am gripped by this desire to heap guilt and judgment on other people because it makes me feel better when I think I'm better than somebody else. I too am locked into this life of death, this cycle of death. God, help me to cross over into life and freedom and grace. Say yes to mercy. Say yes to mercy. Say yes to mercy. Would you just say yes to Jesus today? Say yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. Walk. Step forward with expectation. Don't miss it. Don't blink. Don't miss it. this prayer to the Ephesians for this reason I kneel before the Father and I pray this prayer right now on our behalf I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name and I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.